Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. The impetus for this podcast, which is on the possibility of placing a tax on sugar-sweetened beverages, was an article that I wrote with Dr. Thomas Frieden, Health Commissioner of New York City, that was released online by the New England Journal of Medicine on April the 8th and will be printed in the journal on April 30th of 2009. This is a radical proposal. We have proposed placing a one penny per ounce tax on sugar-sweetened beverages. That would include the traditional uh, carbonated beverages that we all know as soft drinks, but would also include anything to which sugar is added. So natural juice drinks would not be included unless additional sugar was added. It would include energy drinks, sports drinks, teas with added sugar, and the like. The reason for this is that the health consequences of diseases related to poor diet include not only the obvious problems like obesity and diabetes, but a variety of other diseases that are relevant for people even if they're not overweight, heart disease and cancer leading that list. As you can imagine, the beverage industry has responded immediately and vociferously against this proposal um, for obvious business reasons. The industry has claimed, why pick on us? We're just one of the contributors, or we're no contributor at all to the obesity problem, and there are many causes overall. And would this be harmful in some way? So let's discuss the rationale for this idea. First, diseases related to diet are creating a havoc in our healthcare system. The healthcare cost attributable to just obesity, and again, that's only one of the diseases related to poor diet, totals $79 billion per year. About half of that money is covered by Medicare and Medicaid, which means every one of us Americans is helping pay the freight for these problems. Anything that could be done to reduce these healthcare costs, of course, would be in the best interest of the country and all of its citizens. If that's the case, why pick on sugar-sweetened beverages? basically because the science is the strongest on those. It is true that there are many contributors to obesity, with physical inactivity being one of them, but again, many diseases are related to poor diet. The science is most robust on sugar-sweetened beverages. A, a recent review that our group at Yale did, uh, published in the American Journal of Public Health, found study after study linking sugar-sweetened beverage intake with risks for obesity and diabetes and poor diet in general. And the stronger the methods in these studies, the more likely one was to find this result. Now, it is true there are contrary studies showing no effect of sugar-sweetened beverages on these disease outcomes. Many of those studies are funded by the beverage or the sugar industry. So in, in our minds, the science is quite robust. How much are people drinking of these sugar-sweetened beverages? In the 1970s, the average American took in about 70 calories from sugar-sweetened beverages. That doubled in the 1990s, and more recently the number is about 190 calories per day. The average calorie intake for the typical American has gone up between 250 and 300 calories just in the last two decades, and about half of that is attributable to sugar-sweetened beverages. So again, these beverages are not the only cause of poor diet, but they're certainly near or at the top of the list. So health experts would agree pretty unanimously that if the population decreased its consumption of sugar-sweetened beverages, there could be a significant health benefit. 
How can we go about doing this? Well, we could try education. We could say, let's not interfere with business or get government involved. Let's just do education. But the problem is nutrition education costs a lot and it tends not to be that effective. Um, for each increment you can produce in behavior change, the cost is enormous. And the question is who would come up with all the money to do the necessary education, even if it were to be effective enough. So that leads down other roads potentially, and one road would be taxes. We propose, as I mentioned, a one cent per ounce excise tax on sugar-sweetened beverages. Now this would differ from a sales tax. The sales tax is what we typically consider when we think about taxing something, where a consumer sees the, a product on the shelf, the tax gets added at the cash register. There are two disadvantages of a sales tax, thinking of sugar-sweetened beverages. One is that the consumer doesn't see the increased price until after they've made the decision to buy it. And second, it encourages the consumption and purchase of larger containers. Because if you buy a very large bottle of a sugar-sweetened beverage, the cost per ounce goes down, and hence the tax per ounce would go down. An excise tax, a penny per ounce, would not have those two disadvantages, so consumers would see the increased price when they make the decision to buy the product, and there wouldn't be the incentive to buy larger containers. The revenue generation potential for these taxes is staggering. The state of New York estimated that if such a tax, one penny per ounce, were placed on beverages, that just in that state, the annual revenue would be $1.2 billion per year. Well, states desperate for money, given the bad economy currently, find this idea pretty appealing. Best of all, of course, would be if the money that were raised from a tax would be used for a nutrition-related program. If it were used for health programs, that would be fine. It would be even better, of course, if they were used for obesity prevention or nutrition in a way that consumers saw a direct link between what the tax would be, um, what would, would be devoted to, in this case, nutrition and obesity prevention. Consumer support for taxes varies. The lowest support that we've seen in national polls is about 37%, but it rises as high as 72%. And in that case, it's when a tax is, is introduced not as an obesity tax or not as a fat tax, but as a tax on soda or, or sugar-sweetened beverages, and the money is to be earmarked for nutrition or obesity prevention programs. So consumer support for these can be quite high. As I said in this article in the New England Journal, we believe that there's a compelling case for placing such a tax on sugar-sweetened beverages. And if the tax occurs and the money is not earmarked for programs related to health, it's still a public health home run because of the likely reduction in beverage intake. The economic estimates are that for a 10% increase in price, you'd expect somewhere around a 10% reduction in population consumption. It would be impossible or to find the money and to produce that kind of an effect just through education alone in all likelihood. With the case of a tax, you get an instant impact and you raise money rather than spend money on this. Um, consumer support for this uh, can be high if the money generated is used for nutrition-related programs, in which case you've hit a public health grand slam. If you'd like to see the article, you can go to the website of the New England Journal of Medicine or visit the website of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at www.yalerudcenter.org. And in addition to this article, you'll also find a number of other resources, including a list of the other podcasts that we've recorded. Thank you.